The podcast you're about to listen to is part of the Professional Casual Network. To find more podcasts like this, please check out professionalcasual.com. The Professional Casual Network has gear. Check out teespring.com slash store slash professional casual for fresh new swag. A huge shout out to our sponsor, beardeddragongames.online. Pick up all your local game store goodness from Magic the Gathering, Dungeons and Dragons, Pathfinder, or Wafurp 4th Edition, as well as terrain, paints, board games, comics, and more. Make sure to use code PROFESSIONALCASUAL at checkout for free domestic shipping or PCME10 for 10% off your total order at beardeddragongames.online. Also, a special thanks to Built Bar for sponsoring the show. To get 10% off your order and to help support the show, use code PROFESSIONALCASUAL at checkout or use the link in the show. So, hey, stop me if you've heard this one. It's a five-minute walk from my house to the pub. It's a 30-minute walk from the pub to my house. You could say the difference is staggering. gentlemen this is your host d to the d dr d reaching out through the supervision free source of infinity interfacing i am joined today by my partner in infinity b to the t brady t how is it over there in the land of larping my friend larping's great but like what is beach pizza today on arachne you uh we might actually expose literally everybody that listens to this podcast to a god-awful conversation that happens in our local discord I hate that channel with a blinding passion to anyone that knows what I'm talking about. Anyway, so today, what we're actually going to talk about is ITS 15 and the changes that occurred because of it. So first, we should talk about business. Arachne is a part of the Professional Casual Network. If you would like to support the network, please sign up for our Patreon or purchase some hot swag at streamlabs.com, Professional Casual Network 1. We are also sponsored by Frontline Gaming. and would love if you used the link in the show notes to go purchase your tickets for any of their events coming up, since it really helps us out. The next event is the SoCal Open, October 21st through the 22nd. There are no listed Infinity events, but again, that link still helps us out. We would also like to announce the upcoming Everwinter in, de- in December 9th to the 10th at the Boston areas, the Weston Waltham, Boston. If you are looking up that event, don't be <laughs> uh, persuaded that you're stupid. The fact that it's called the Weston, essentially there's a problem because there's a town right next to it called Weston. And so the Weston and the Waltham, it gets all really confused. So just make sure you look up the <laughs> the Weston Waltham, Boston that is what it's called. So if you're looking it up and you get really confused on the names of the towns and the name of the actual hotel, don't worry. It happens with the locals, too. Don't panic. And I personally am, a spo- am sponsored by Monument Hobbies. I always forget to mention it. I absolutely love them. I'm going to stop forgetting to mention it. I think this will be the last time I mentioned that I don't remember to mention them. And absolutely love their paints. Pro Acryls, absolutely the thing I use more than anything else as far as paint-wise goes now. Their brushes... They always restock them and they completely sell out in moments. So if you get a chance to buy them, do not put it off. If they're in stock, just buy them. You you will love them. I know I have. 
So make sure you use the code Professional Casual at checkout and you get yourself a swanky little discount. And of course, we can never forget Mr. Laser. Hey, gotta love him. So today, Brady and I have decided to meet here on the internet. And we're going to talk about ITS 15. So leading into the ITS 15 universe, the new world that we live in, I played at a local event called Cube Free, which we have talked about previously in some of the other episodes. And essentially, they are the big, I guess you could call it kind of like tri-state area type tournaments. Was that, was that what you would kind of call them, Brady? Yeah, I would probably say they're they're probably one of the bigger ones in you know this general pocket. Because you because it's in New Hampshire, it pulls people from Maine, Massachusetts, Vermont, Connecticut. We get people from New York, and we get people as far as New Jersey. I don't think we've had anybody further than that. But essentially, you get most of the northeastern United States. So they're they're great events. They're big. Uh, this one we had thirty people scheduled. Twenty seven showed up, I believe. I was lucky enough to walk away with second. Hooray! You might hear some people in the background on this one. Uh, <laughs> oh, also, by the way, we I moved. <laughs> so that was something I went through. So there, if you notice a little hiccup in episode uh, releases, that was uh, that was kind of a culprit. So all this was happening, and I have a new little studio. So you might hear some background noises until I completely get that fixed. But don't panic. Make sure you send me an angry email, and we'll talk about it. We'll really discuss what it is in your life that you really need to talk about. So I took my beloved O12. I brought the same exact list that I brought to the last ever winner, which was a satellite tournament, if I remember correctly. I think uh, CB actually recognized it for all of its greatness that it was. You were at that one, Brady, right? The which one? Everwinter, the be- uh, brawl at Beantown. Uh, I was at Everwinter, but I was playing Warhammer at the time, so I was I was rolling fistfuls of d6. I I remember walking into the room and looking at all the miniatures because at that point I was really interested in switching over to Infinity as a more like full time, quote unquote full time as my like you know what little hobby time we all have as adults. <laughs> hey man, your your miniature gaming part of your life has become somewhat of a professional endeavor. I mean, you're here with me, right? Yes, and we're professional casual players, so absolutely. But professional is in the name. We try to make it so that we seem professional, but we're always keeping it casual. Party in the front, also party in the back. So when I was there, I got to play against three amazing opponents. These were all rematches, so all the people I played against are fantastic locals that we've seen regularly. I got to play against Nuds. Nuds is a prime arachnid. He's been a fan since the very beginning. We were both wearing our arachne shirts, and we showed them off, and... All I got to say, what a great guy. Absolutely loved our game. He completely crushed me last game, so it felt real good to crush his vanilla sea army. Anytime he could beat vanilla sea army, yeah, that's a good day. No no avatars, but it was a she-skin. I got to kill a she-skin with a parachutist. That, was, that felt real, real good. My second game was against our beloved local Keith. He just recently managed to make a human. So it's a tiny little human. Uh, supposedly. Uh, He was definitely sleep deprived. We love him. And I got to say, special shout out to Keith's wife, who essentially made it possible for him to go at all. So a podcast that she does, in fact, not listen to. uh, We would like to thank you for allowing Keith to come hang out with us. It was really great. He spoke nothing but good things about you the entire time. And holy crap, you have someone who's completely devoted to you. So there you go. All right, Keith, you can you can cut that section out. We'll get the timestamps to you, and you can just play that for, for her. 
there you go. So, and then my third game was against Brian. This was the person I played against at the very last game of the last Everwinter event. So I beat him that time. This game was real, real close. Absolutely nail biter to the very end. All the missions were direct actions, so they didn't have any deck. They were mostly just violence. And I got to say, huge fan of that mission format. They're a lot of fun. You get to skip a lot of the more overly complicated stuff. Because of the timing of the event, it was an ITS 15 event. So thankfully, this did give me at least a little bit of exposure to what we can kind of expect. The direct action ones don't have a lot of the new stuff in it, but it did take out a lot of the extra model stuff, which is something that we're probably going to talk about here pretty soon. So the person that won the event was Jake. Hey, we know him. I know that guy. Yeah, uh, he'll be he'll be running an event uh, at Queen's Gambit in November. I can't remember the exact date off the top of my head, so I have a chance. It's my dad's birthday. It's November 11th. Oh, there we go. Makes it very easy to remember. So if you are in the area, Queen's Gambit, pretty awesome store in Methuen. Yes. So if you are in the area, please come on up. Come hang out with us. I'll be there as far as I know. My dad doesn't live local, so that means I have time and permission. I can do, do whatever I want. And so... If you really want to hang out with the Arachne crew, we'll both be there. Barring barring horse-related emergencies, yes, I will be there. There's no LARPs in November, so I'm not going to get dragged off to go put on, you know, elf ears out in the woods. You can't catch... You can, you know what, Brady? At the event, you can cast Magic Missile with me all you want, buddy. <laughs> I'll, br- I'll bring some birdseed packets when you're least expecting. Just bomb it across the room. Knock over a bunch of people's models. Get people very angry at me. I'm sure I'm sure everybody will forgive you since you're the co-host of one of the coolest podcasts that's ever ever existed. So he managed to win. We were both undefeated, but he managed to get more objective points during the event. And I had 23. He had 25. I had 22. I might have had 22. I had 22 and he had 25. Pretty close. Pretty close margin. And we celebrated with sushi afterwards. Can't ask for a better event. I'm really excited to hear that Jake did so well. We did a practice game on Thursday and it was... Not very close. I just pushed a Sphinx up the board and basically tabled him uh, by turn three. Uh, so he hit, went back to the drawing board and clearly made some very good improvements to to the lists. And clearly it worked out really well for him. You want to give a little heads up on like what he was playing? Uh, I mean, the usual the usual Hawk Islam, uh, you know, a couple of fides, um, usually some viral. Um, and the usual... We'll seek snipers, I assume. I believe so. Uh, the usual style that Jake, uh, I think, is really good at, um, and it's re- it's warped my perspective of Infinity, because that's the person I play against the most, which is like this very, you have to push past these awful fides, and then you get a bunch of weird speed bumps, and it really warps how you want to play that game, and I think is a good style for direct um, for direct action, if you know what you're doing. But it does have the weakness in direct action, which he which he found with his with his list, which is like sometimes you just push a sphinx up the board and like, oh, I killed I killed the one model that needed to kill the tag. I guess I just win because Hakazam doesn't have a lot of really good tools to deal with, you know, those bigger, heavier tags, or are in this case a tag with Mim6. So that was I know when he went back to the drawing board, he took out a lot of like specialists and focused more on Hey, even if this is a mission that has to push a button at some point, I can't just let, you know, 
I can't just walk against an avatar list and just have it just walk up the board and just rip everything apart. He should have brought a Maggie. What a coward. I don't think you can take Maggie and Hakazam. I think it's Rama and uh, Vanilla. And Hawk? I could be wrong. Are you talking? You mean assassins? That, yes, that makes far, far more sense. Yes, because uh, he was he was doing his usual assassins. That makes more sense. <laughs> anyway, so we're going to talk about new ITS. ITS fifteen came up fairly recently. It has been around for at least a couple weeks. One of the cool things about ITS when it first comes out is you never know what you're really going to get cause until a couple days later. <laughs> because when the document comes out, some things are going to change, like what uh, scenarios are in it and, you know, little things like that. So as a preview of coming attractions for ITS 16, when the document first comes out, hold on to your opinions probably for like two or three days. And then you might get the whole, <laughs> you might get the whole story a few days later. That's why we waited at least a little while. So, Brady, let's talk about ITS 15. One of the best things about the new ITSs is that they essentially take some of the concepts of the game and they kind of spin them on their head, I guess is a good way to put it. So in ITS 14, it was Takimoto. Oh, and it was it was Takimoto and it also had the extra added models, which were the Bashi and the CSU. They took away the area zones from what I remember. And then they had an awesome new scenario called Cryogenics. I really loved Cryogenics. It was probably one of my favorite. I love Quadrant Control, but then you add in a little bit of randomness to it, and you get a fan out of me. I know it, I know it was very divisive for some people just because of the randomness, but I always really enjoyed my games with it. Cryogenics can go die in every single fire. I hate that mission. Well, why? why, why is that? I really didn't like, I think we talked about this in one of our first episodes, actually. Um, I really didn't like the way Cryogenesis, uh, Cryogenics punished you for going, for being aggressive and opening tech coffins, but it also could weirdly, like, heavily reward. And I found it was one of those play styles that randomness mattered a little bit too much because it fundamentally changed your play style. Like, okay, I, I took the initiative. I'm going to open the tech coffin. Oh, that actively helped my opponent because I rolled bad. Okay. That means I need to play either hyper aggression and just throw all caution to the wind, or I need to like really pivot to this really weird defensive. Maybe you open a tech coffin and I get lucky, but like if I I've had those scenarios where like you open two tech coffins and nothing comes out and you're just like, cool. GG, like I just wasted a ton of orders and basically handed you the the win because at that point, mathematically, they just, you know, and again, obviously it's possible, but uh, it, it was a mission I didn't like. I wish your se- I wish your second one always produced someone. And then I think they would have then I would be pretty much fine with the randomness. I just didn't like it was only after, you know, this um, there was only options for success would it force to open. Um, so yeah, cryogenics just got bad feeling in my mouth. Now I brought that up for a reason. So lady and gentlemen, please note his opinion on that. And I'll bring it up when we get to the new scenarios. So in the new ITS, the, they added O12's prestige and border skirmishes for the general rule. So they took out Takimoto. So now remotes with forward observer and repeaters don't get marksmanship anymore. So they did take that out. I mean, they don't have tackware anymore either. So that was, in fact, just a temporary rule. It did not become permanent like a lot of people thought it would, like the bike thing. So don't do that anymore, or you'll be a big cheater. So the cool thing about the new ones, O12's Prestige. Now, I got to say, this is probably 
one of my favorite ITS rules I think I've ever seen. It's very simple, very easily implemented. It is. Players can make a tactical use of a command token once per game. When they do this, you get to essentially add a regular order to one of your order pools. There's no stipulation as to which one. So the cool thing about this is that it's a strange kind of floating order that you could put into either group. I guess it's sort of like a... It's just an awesome order that you could put in wherever you feel like you need it. If you get more payoff from a certain thing that you do in, let's just say, your combat group two, which ten, you know usually tend to be a little bit lower on the order side, if you manage to make a breakthrough in less orders than you thought and you're thinking to yourself, oh, if I had another order, I could get into the midfield and tick up in a building, this is a fantastic way to do that. One of the cool things about this is that when these rules come out, they always try and, in some weird way, either directly or indirectly buff certain profiles that could exist in the game. I think that this very specifically helps lieutenants that add command tokens. So I, I did want to mention uh, it's once per game round, not per per game. So you can technically put three tokens into this. I agree with you. It helps any, any way you can get more command tokens. It's great. The few things I really like about it is coordinated order is probably still a better use of a command token in probably 50 to 60% of the scenarios. However, my brain real smooth, and so I never really find those good uses of uh, that coordinated order. So a lot more people are going to get a lot more out of pop a command token just and swing forward. Uh, the other things I really like about this is it shifts some of the value of the command token. Because before it was, you know, if I'm going second, I'm, I'm always just draining the two orders. It's just, it's automatic. And almost always when I went first, it's basically always pretty beneficial to, to slot just to, you know, get your extra uh, model um, hidden for as long as you can. And then as well, when you're on a fire team, you know, just using it to reform fire teams and the, and the whole nine yards, this gives a really powerful use. So it's going to, you know, in theory, take some power away from fire teams because you may not be able to reform them very often. You also don't need to use the command tokens to move groups around because you can maybe just, you know what, for this turn, I'll just generate that extra order instead, instead of moving the model over. I, I like it when games play with you know, that kind of meta resource and, the, you know, like Warhammer with command points and this one with command tokens. I like when you play with that because it changes, like you said, it changes some of the power in individual profiles, but also just changes the power in just certain how interactions work. You you might see that people will actually get their full order pulls in turn one because I would rather make sure I have a command token, you know, reform my link when I'm going second to reform my link and then make sure I get an extra order you know, an extra three orders through the course of the game. So I don't really want to burn that order to take two orders away from you anymore. It, and I mean, it gives you it gives you an option. Now, obviously, everything we say depends on board state, right? That kind of goes without saying. Let's just say that during the entirety of the event that just happened, I think in all three games, there was only a single turn where I didn't use it. And that was just because I had enough orders to do what I wanted and I just didn't need... You know, in those situations where you can't really get anywhere substantial with an extra order. So if that and I did pretty well at the event, right? So that did teach me that I having a audible order just kind of sitting in the back of the tank. Really good to have. Big fan. I do agree that I think if you set up situations more constructedly, like if you're not a, a big smooth brain like I am and you have like an actual idea of what the heck it is that you're doing, I think a coordinated order probably is still more efficient. But I agree that 
O12 prestige helps, I think, vanilla factions maybe a little bit more just because the fact that they don't have to spend orders and all that on fire teams and all that stuff. The next rule is border skirmishes. So once per game, this is actually once per game, each player can deploy a trooper possessing a special skill such as airborne deployment or combat drop. And you essentially get to put them on the edge of the exclusion zone. No role required. Now, I looked at it like this. If you have, because there are some profiles that only have combat drum and some of them that only have parachutists, like the Knight of Santiago, I think doesn't have parachutists, which I always giggle at. And a lot, and some of the area models don't have combat drop. A lot of them just have parachutists. This is interesting because combat droop drop becomes parachutist, except it's for the entire square in the middle of the board, including the longitudinal line, not just the edges of the actual table. And you essentially, you just get to slap them on the table. No roll required. Once again, that's awesome. That's really, really cool. I I love this rule. It is fantastic. Um, and any kind of dice game, you basically look at, you know, any optional chances and you go, no, I will not do that. Oh, well, Kodali lands, you know, it's like a 15 plus or something. And it's like, you know, or like goes on a 15. It's like, well... 25% of the time, which means at least once in like a four or five round event, at least one she'll fail. And with my luck, it's basically every single time. It's it's reversed. She basically just fails every single time. But guaranteeing that combat jump will happen makes combat jump feel really good. Because I feel like that's like a lot of tro- like troopers that have combat jump, you feel bad about it. Because you only are going to remember that one game where you're like... And I landed, I didn't even need to be in a good spot. I just needed my trooper to not be in my deployment zone when they landed. And I rolled a 19. So I guess I get to eat trash. Uh, I really like it. It's going to make you relook at those troops that have combat jump as well, especially as well as parachutist. Um, again, assuming that the missions that have saturation zones are there. It also does the thing I love about exclusion zones. Thank you. Uh, it does do the thing I also love about Infinity, which is it promotes hidden information and promotes a little bit of paranoia as you start pushing your models up the board. Because any anything with an exclusion zone, you know your opponent is very incentivized to bring a drop trooper. And that, for me, just makes a more interesting game state. So I'm really, really happy with this rule. This is one of those rules that, like, I would love to just see baseline uh, in, like, every single, like, you know, going forward. Exclusion that, zones. Like, if you have an exclusion zone, combat troops are just like particularly good at dropping in them find it find an in-game reason for it i don't care and you're definitely incentivized to bring combat drops that you would have never even considered before that had too low of a fizz from what i understand i saw some people talking about i think Chesvasti. they're called like cadmus is that what they're called oh oh now you're testing my knowledge of Chesvasti, where i especially a model i would never have played um i think that's right exactly and that's exactly what i'm saying now you're incentivized to bring combat troops that you're now incentivized to bring combat dropping troops that you wouldn't have been able to use before because their fizz was too was butts, essentially. Well, you paid for combat jump and you never felt like you're like, I can I just get this off my profile and just give me parachutist because I'll never use the combat jump. Uh, again, like Kodali being a great example. I'm like, man, I want to go down by like one or two points. Can you just get this rule that I will never use? And now all of a sudden it's like, okay, I will use that rule. Now we're starting to justify that point for that really good, powerful rule. But I was never going to risk a combat jump on a 15 in a tournament because just like, you know, you'll fail it. And all I'm going to say is that if you are going against somebody who has a combat group, especially a first combat group that only has nine troopers. Hmm. 
Wonder what that's going to be. So make sure you got you check your facings. <laughs> make sure you check those facings before you say that orders mm-hmm. used. So we would like to bring up the resiliency operations things real, real quick. Obviously, this is going to be a new way to play for the upcoming deck. I think it's called the tactical deck or something like that. Operations deck or something like that. It sounds really cool. It reminds me a lot of open war cards for 40k, which were easily my favorite way to play that game. So if you have the ability to have a game with random factors that you might have some clue if you've played the deck enough. But if you're playing a game and it says, oh, hey, yeah, you get hit by a blizzard and now nobody can see over 24 inches or whatever. We have no idea what's on those cards. We will talk about it when the cards come out. We'll probably talk about the game mode, maybe give it a shot. But I know I am excited. My, my little toes are a curl and just thinking about an entire event of just random things happening and the stories we're all going to tell each other when we go get sushi afterwards. It's going to be awesome. See, I'm not even thinking of it from an event perspective. I think if it, assuming the deck is anyway good, it'll become probably your standard pickup and play. Um, because especially for newer people when like you don't really know how to like really build for a mission, um, it's a great like, hey, just bring good all-comer lists or like random skew lists and just roll up a mission and have fun. Uh, and I think I think that'll be really valuable for that, you know, that pick up and play culture uh, that a lot, you know, that that's good for game stores. Yeah, that's perfect for just the pickup game type stuff. Actually, I didn't even think about that. That's actually quite an insightful comment. So we will talk about that later. Don't worry, lady and gentlemen, we will. In fact, we're both pretty excited about that. So it'll come back. So next are the quantum anomaly zones, the QAZs. I'm pretty sure that's what that means. So as a quick side note, the lore of the ITS-15 is that there is now a ceasefire going on between the Sea Army and the Human Sphere. This is important. I haven't had a chance to get completely through Song yet. I have been having a lot of trouble just getting the Saran wrap off of it because of the way this move has been. So I'm mostly just staring at the book most of the time. But from what I understand, we're fighting over Concilium, the O12 homeworld, essentially kind of like the cradle of the human sphere in a lot in a weird way. Sea army is blowing things up and they're essentially using weapons from what I understand that have ripped open the fabric of reality. You know, no big deal. That's that sounds safe. So they caused a ceasefire because both sides are a little scared about what tearing the fabric of reality is going to mean for oxygen supply, I guess. And so when this happened, a lot of weird stuff started crawling through wormholes. And now we got some problems on the planet. And a lot of the new missions are relating to that storytelling, which we'll kind of go over a little bit when we get there. So quantum anomaly zones. And it's no big deal. Don't don't panic. It's just it's just the ripping of reality. Also, all you Lord, all you Lord nerds. Just start um actualing us like as hard as possible. We want we want to see it in the comments. And Spiral is now in fact enemies of all the human sphere. They are they have been declared extreme terrorists. So go outside and do your part and squish a spiral toha jerkwad. Are you doing your part, Brady? I have n- I don't think I've ever played against Spiral. Uh, but if they show up, I will stop on them. <laughs> I'm doing my part. So. The quantum anomaly zone creatures, we're just calling, we're going to call them the quas, the quas creatures. So the quas creature is the thing I believe that CB wanted to replace the turret because the turret is no longer in the rules for ITS 15. As far as I remember, there might be one with a turret. I don't remember, but 
There, there was like two missions that have turrets still. Okay, so there's still the turrets are still there, but this is, in all essence, a melee turret. I really enjoy them. I hope you like them too. Let's go over them. So before the deployment phase, each player must place a QAZ creature a minimum of four inches outside the enemy deployment zone. So this gets to essentially be placed in the middle of the board. And since it's melee, that's probably for the best. And it has to be done before the deployment zone. So this thing is actually on the table before the other person places down their first wave of models. Whoever has to do deployment first, they're going to know where the QAZ is, the QAZ creature, the quaz. Each creature is fixed there. They cannot be moved. You put a token next to it just so you remember whose is whose. Hopefully, you'd probably be able to tell that just by the model that you use. And essentially, it is a CC turret that will attack anything that comes into zone of control of it. It has guard, and it also has burst three. And it does not require line of sight for the guard, like most of the guard models. So you are going to walk into the area within eight of this angry little beehive dog thing. And you're going to he say, hey, what is that noise? And then you're going to get a burst three CC 11 dog trying to rip your face off. Burst three is gross. But CC 11 is pretty is pretty butts. Now, I imagine that because it does not have natural born warrior. Actual fighty models are going to have martial arts, which is going to even reduce it further. And they're probably going to beat it. You know, obviously, the only real downside is the extra burst that the alien thing has. So it's essentially a really angry space chihuahua. I really like this as an alternative to a turret in most missions, just because the turret did become that one of like, you just put it, you put it down on a good long angle. And it was always just like, every time you're moving, it's just getting AROed. And you're just like, I don't know. Sure. I'll take a bullet from it, whatever. I don't care. And it either did nothing or it like, sometimes just went psycho mode and just decided to like headshot someone from across the map. And you're like, okay, sure. Turret. Uh, I like the eight inch uh, bubble a lot more. It allows them to put a little bit more power into it and something you have to think about. So in general, I like that. There is one massive caveat and like, I'm a, I'm a person who is massively benefiting from it. This thing is going like, especially because you don't get to know the combined army list before you place it down besides the fact that they are playing you know one of the combined army factions protheon is going to be one hell of a drug with this thing so like if someone if someone says like oh i'm playing jess Fosti, you take that thing and you yeet it across the board and go like no i'm not putting it down or like you put it as far into your own territory as possible because you don't want sheskin walking anywhere near it and just getting a free extra uh, wound same thing with like norkius you like norkius literally looks at that and goes cool, I have burst two, I you know, I have martial arts, you will not win this fight, and I just get a free extra wound. I, I don't, as you know, again, I'm a combined army player, I love combined army, but like, pro, it's such, eating faces is such a, like, in my opinion, such a hard rule to balance, and I feel like this doesn't help the, like, that weird snowballing that rule can, can produce. Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't love that, I wish it had structure, and then like, all this kind of would have been mute. But it, it has wounds, so you can eat its face. Uh, so if you go against the Combined Army, do not put that thing anywhere near if you if you just think that they may be bringing a good, you know, a Sheskin or an Orkias or something. And it should be noted that because it is specifically, I, I believe they say it's like a piece of deployable equipment, essentially. It, they can only get a single wound from it because I don't believe it goes into an unconscious state. Yes, there there is that like that small like cause if you had if you got two wounds from that thing like 
Norkius would just be terrifying because oh, Norkius runs at you with four four wounds, dodging just up the board. And you're like, cool. Uh, like you literally against combined army players, you would just see Norkius and, and Cheskin everywhere. I mean, you already do, but you would see them being played even harder. <laughs> and if it does manage to hit you, it is strength thirteen with AP. So if it does hit you, it's going to hurt real bad. So moving on to the quaz zone, this is where these quaz creatures are crawling out of. So I like to think of them as really angry beehive slash dog houses. It is a template. So it's the same size as an explosive template or a smoke template or anything like that. It's one of those circular templates that we all tend to have. It is a zero G zone. That is also a saturation zone. If you've been playing for more than one ITS, these look somewhat familiar due to it being two or three ITSs ago, because I know they replaced it with jungle and all that when we were fighting on Concilium. But irregardless, they are saturation zones, which are really good for helping. I like to call it board quality control. If you notice any of those zones that are just completely nasty, you don't want to deal with, adding a saturation zone can either help or hinder you. But this one is special, because if you walk inside of the zone, it punches you in the mouth at strength 10 on your BTS. Doesn't isn't that wonderful? I think they're really cool. Uh, On-demand saturation zones, really good. I think we already talked about earlier. Of you know, it, it's prevent. It's helping that go second. It's taking down that turn. That turn one by just you know any amount of I can place good saturation zones and help my lanes of fire. We all know. We all know the models are going to fail that BTS save though. Are like, oh, I got like a plus eight. I can just walk into it. I just don't need to roll a one. No, the moment you say that, you your dice just look at you and you're like, your hubris will be punished today. How dare you evoke the name of Zool, you fool! You shall now feel his wrath. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a good buff for controlling. It's a great way to control models that might rely on. AROs a little bit too much, especially high burst AROs like your TR bots or your linked snipers. I think it's a slight buff to armies that really like models with two wounds because you can actually walk into these with some, with an absolute certainty that you can just walk through it and not actually get hurt. Or you'll get hurt, but at least you won't go down. I do have a little bit of concern. I'm not sure if it's written anywhere and you can correct me if I'm wrong. You can just put these on objectives. So you can just put them on consoles. It's like, oh man, you have to run in there and push a button like four times. All right it's a 50 50 every time you roll for most for most models sitting around like two like one to three bts you know eventually you're going to fail it and you're just going to like die trying to push that button which is kind of interesting right i mean i'm not even sure <laughs> that that has got to be stipulated somewhere that it can't be on an objective i don't know i'm not sure i didn't see it but you know, that could be somewhere in a, in the packet somewhere. Tell tell me I'm wrong. Please, someone tell me I'm wrong on this one. I did not see it, so I guess you could do that. I didn't even think of that. That'd be a real jerk thing to do. I love it. Make me take more saves. I mean, could you put it in could you put it in the armory? Like could you put it in I don't think any armory missions have this one, actually. It's in the I wrote down which missions it's in. It's in capture and protect, de- uh, decapitation, firefight, and frontline. So those are all open board. Mostly killing missions, it sounds like. I'm, I'm, I'm worried about your concerns, Brady. So ignore all my concerns. But I really do like it. It's cool. I like the terrain zones more than I like ITS rules that involve getting more models. So at this point, I think it's safe to say 
some of the things that they took out of the last ITS. I'm very happy that they took out Bashis. I'm very happy they took out the CSUs and they made it its own module where if you want to, you can buy them all you want. So if there's a particular meta that really just absolutely adored having to re- remember bringing a CSU all the time, you can give it to whoever you want. And now it's only a single profile. So if you look at Army, if you look at the ITS Bashi or the ITS CSU, it's actually just a single profile. So everybody has to bring the exact same one, which I think is a way better way to do it anyway. Because most of the time, people only brought the one, the best profile that was an option anyway. It, it felt like a noob trap. It was like, oh, did you do you know the do you know the objectively best one? No, cool. You actively made a wrong choice, and for a weird thing that when you show up to the mission, it's not on your army list that you can prepare for. Yeah, I. Goodbye, good riddance. I do not care for you. So I hope they keep it that way. If they do add extra models, I hope it's implemented maybe a little bit better. But obviously, that's a problem for another day. So now, one of the cool things that did get added to ICS-15 is that they added, I believe, three new missions. They added B-Pong, Evacuation, and Final and Last Launch. So we're going to go over them a little bit. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of nuance to these that we can't get because I don't think either one of us have actually played these yet. They are in the two-day five game event of Everwinter, the one that we're going to in December. Two of these are in there. So these missions will be coming up. You know most TOs are going to be excited to try out the new scenarios because they like inflicting pain on the people that play their games. So it's going to be a good idea to give these a little read-through, especially the last one. Uh, There's a couple complicated things that pop up with that one, but let's go over them. So first is B-Pong. I like to think of this as really aggressive soccer. The whole goal of this game is that there is a beacon in the middle of the board that you want to kick into the other person's side of the board while also controlling it. And for anybody that doesn't completely know, to control something in this game, whatever it asks you to, is you have to be touching it and the other person, none of his models can also be touching it. And it can't be a camo marker and it can't be some any it can't be like an impersonator. It can't be anything like that. So they got to be standing there loud and proud, touching the thing, saying, no, no, it's mine. You can't have it. This scenario is scored at the end of every game round. I absolutely love scenarios that score at end of game round. They They are so much more exciting to me, in my opinion, than just everything scoring at the very end. So you get a point for kicking the ball into the other person's half of the table. You get a point for controlling it. So that means you just have somebody touching it at the end of the round. And you also get one for controlling at least one of the two consoles that are on the lateral aspects of the table. Now, the cool thing about the consoles is that they give you a secondary and kind of third way to interact with the ball if you feel like it's too heavily defended by your opponent's models. In that, when you interact with the console, you can either move it two inches in any direction you want, or you can move it six inches towards the center. Now, my brain has been corrupted by MCP where they don't, in my opinion, AMG doesn't actually understand what the words towards something means, because what that means is, let's say me and Brady are standing one inch apart, and I have something that says, hey, you get to pull Brady six inches towards you. In my brain, that means, oh, He's going to move an inch towards me. We're going to bump and we're going to kiss and then we're going to stop and then and then we're going to stop right there. But in MCP world, my brain's been ruined because what that means is that not only does it move an inch towards you, you can also fling it past you the extra distance. Now, the wording on this states that it has to be towards the center. Does that mean it goes to the center and then it stops or does it keep going? Does it essentially rubber band into the other half of the table. 
I, as a TO, like just my first reading, I would I would not say it rubber bands. That that makes no sense in my brain that it would keep going. Again, I would I would say it it hits the center and it stops. That's that's it. That is where it's trying to go. Or even how I'd phrase it is it goes to the center and then uses all its remaining movement to stay in the center. You know, it moves an inch away and then immediately goes back because that's the optimal place it's trying to go. Um, and that's how I would do it. But again, some games don't see it that way. So I guarantee you someone is not going to, that's going to be a question that comes up. I believe I agree. I think it should be, Oh, it hits the center and then it just stops. But you know that's going to come up because somebody's going to try and play it like that. So that would be something I want a little clarification on, or at least have a TO say, oh, yeah, hey, baby, this is how this works. That might actually only be me. So don't listen to me if you don't agree with me, because I don't agree with me. I think it's stupid. So the tracking beacon is essentially a little, it's a small base, so I'm pretty sure it's on a 25 millimeter base. It's interesting because most of the time when you have an objective, most of the objectives are short order skills. Relocating the tracking beacon is, in fact, an entire order. Now, this means bar nothing else. If you walk up to the tracking beacon or the ball, as I like to call it, it's going to take you one order to walk up to it. The second half of your order, if you get there in your first movement, you cannot touch it. So you lose the a lot of efficiency based on your second order. So that lends me to think, hey, if you're going to do this, do it with something that has mines or has some other skill you're going to be able to use as a half order because then you're going to be losing a little bit of order efficiency here. So just kind of keep that in mind. So you have to spend an order to walk up to it. You have to spend an order to kick it. And when you kick it, you get to move it four inches from the model that declared the skill. So not like four inches where it actually is. So if you have the base in such a way, you might be able to get like a couple more inches out of it by essentially like yeeting it behind you. So it's four inches from the model, not the beacon. I guess like your size seven tags and all that can, can throw it basically an extra inch or so your 25 millimeters aren't going to, you know, they'll get like a half an inch or something, but. And that's because tags don't skip leg day. Those meaty thighs, give it a big old kick and it just, it just goes flying. And so you have to be a specialist trooper in order to do this. So you spend an order to walk up to it. You have to spend an order to kick it. And then you have to spend another order to move back into base contact with it in order to get both of the points involved with the objective. So there is, you know, some, I think the big brain people, you will go to a console, you will kick it two inches to your model. That model will then spend the whole order to move it four inches. And then potentially they'll have a model within four inches for it to kick to across the across the line to get all those points and do that in much better order efficiency but that's you know very grand you know you have everyone in the right spot what i like about this mission is i really like reverse tug of war Um, reverse tug of war is a really great way to build in a defender advantage because inherently me putting it into your zone means it's four inches closer you know or an inch closer to all of your defensive uh all your defensive stuff and so it inherently has a comeback mechanic built in. And to uh, Carver's Belly's like really big credit is they built in the the failsafe. The big problem you can't have with first cover, tug of war is the person just pushes it all the way to your table edge and you're like, well, I literally have no way to order intensive this way back. But because those consoles move at six inches, so it will move two inches faster towards the center. 
uh, they they have taken away or they they've added some amount of comeback mechanic to to this ability, and having it take a whole order means it'll be so hard. Like you know, there'll be some armies that'll want to like get a camo token right next to it or a hidden deployment, you know, infiltration hidden deployment, and just push this thing as far as they can. But that may be all they do, and so they've burnt most of their orders on in theory winning the mission. But you have a lot of your stuff that can then maybe kill them and then and you know spend the orders and and, and come back at the end of the game. So I again, we'll, we'll it's yet to be seen how balanced this will all end up being in in practice. But I'm really happy with like seeing all the different ways you can move it because I really do think you're going to you're going to find that it's um, going to create interesting scenarios. I do worry that the best play is just to go sit on the consoles and just move it two inches at a time. It's not great order efficiency, but especially if you're on it and like peeking, you can like shoot touch console. No, you can't do that. It's an attack on the console, I believe. Well, you poke the console. Right. I don't think you can poke and shoot in the same in the same order, but either way, it may still be beneficial just to almost always just sit on the console and then just run a model at it at the very end and, you know, at the end of the turn and just sit on it and then lose that model and, and keep going that uh, that route. And remember, it's at the end of game round. So if you're going first, you do have to build up some kind of defensive, you know, thing just in order to protect it. I think that this mission heavily incentivizes going second, heavily, heavily, heavily. So if you can go second, and as long as you can interrupt the opponent long enough for where they cannot properly interact with the ball in such a way that they're going to take it all the way to the other side of the table, and if anything, they're moving it towards you. So in a weird way, it's imperative that you at least get some kind of eyes on either the ball and or the consoles or one or the other. The thing that's interesting is that each person can only interact with each of the consoles only one time. So you can only do the two inch move twice at most if you interact with each of the consoles once, but you can poke the ball as many times as you want, as long as you have the specialists. When I think elementary level, just what I know right now, these scenario or this scenario really heavily incentivizes you to bring a wide team of specialists like a wide 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 team of specialists he and the kind of my last thoughts on this one is this mission should always be called beer pong uh you should always run this at um you know any kind of beer affinity event uh and if someone shotguns a beer they get to automatically move the token two inches in any direction at any time i will take i will be taking no further comments unless they're agreeing with me Hell yeah, brother. So the next scenario is called evacuation. If you look at this and you wonder if it's rescue on steroids, yes. So at the, <laughs> at the end of the game, you get a single point for every extracted civilian. And at the end of the game, you get two points for every extracted enemy HVT. So the way this one is set up is that there are going to be five regular civilians. These are always placed in the exact same places. It's in the shape of an X or, or it makes me think of a five like on a domino. And then after those are placed with your HVTs, each person is going to have two. So there's going to be four HVTs on the table and they get placed like normal HVTs do. So outside of your deployment zone by four, yada, yada. And because it's a 12 inch deployment zone, it's going to be up by 16. These, these HVTs are worth more, obviously, but you know where the civilians are going to be. Now, the normal rules for this apply where none of these civilians can be on top of buildings or inside things that make it difficult to get to them or yada, yada. But this is going to involve, and it also is all stuck and trapped inside of an, an exclusion zone. So that makes it kind of interesting because you know there's going to be a specialist drop troop going to pop in here somewhere and going to grab a couple people. So this is going to be really tricky to make it impossible for the other person not to score 
it's kind of interesting. And then each person will have an evacuation terminal that is on the edge of their deployment zone in, you know, half in your deployment zone, half in the dead zone in the no man zone. Now, from what I understand by reading this, if you have a civilian, you can interact with either of the evacuation terminals. I don't think you have to do the one that's closest to you. So this means that you can actually, if you have, if you love hyper aggression, you can go up, grab the other person's HVT because they're probably going to be more on their side, their half of the table. Anyway, you go up, you grab them, you clear whatever's looking at that evacuation terminal, and boom, look at that, two points. They're both marked with A. They're, they're explicitly both the same, the same token. They're both marked with A. And in fact, you're heavily incentivized to do that. So that last line, you can only interact with a terminal one time until your opponent then touches it. And then, like, you basically, you know, flips the switch back the other direction, and then you can push the terminal again. So, you, you know, I think I think a strategy will be on turn one or turn, you know, like turn one, if you can get someone deep, push them into their terminal, and then they go for an easy evac on their own terminal, great. You can just hyper-aggression back into it and then get a safe one on your on your side of the board. I could be wrong on that interpretation of how that, how that actually works, but that last line of uh, the terminal reads to me as if Dr. D doesn't decide to play the game and I just, you know, use both terminals, I can't use another terminal again. I remember looking at this line and being a little confused. I think what it's trying to say is that you essentially can't gain ownership of the terminal. I think it means that if you poke it, it doesn't stop your the other person from being able to interact with it, I think is what it was trying to say. You could be right on that. I think because and it and also something that's important to note is that when you do this, models can carry two civilians at a time. So if you go up to the console, it specifically states every time you interact with the console, only one person can leave. So if you're carrying two and you interact with the console, you only one of them gets evacuated. You have to interact with it again in order to get the, the second one off. So I think that's technically what they were going for, but I can see where you're coming from. You could be right. I'm not sure. Yes. In fact, I am definitely wrong because I was mixing it up with the... It's a similar line in Beer Pong, but Beer Pong is very specific. If you can touch that console again after your opponent has touched it. was kind of conflating both those lines in my head. Ignore me, everyone. Reading rules sometimes is hard. <laughs> That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm on Wait Did I Roll a Wild. I'm here to hopefully catch the, the, the things before they fall into the cracks. So in order to grab a civilian, you have to do Civ Evac. Now, I know locally, Civ Evac and Case Evac are just things that we'd never completely like remember because it doesn't really come up all that often unless the scenario specifically needs it. So this is a civ evac. And the way a civ evac works is a model goes up to a civilian and he introduces himself. He's like, hi, I'm a Morat. I'm a giant angry monkey. Would you like to come with me? And then he makes a whip plus three. And if you pass it, the civilian's like, you're right, giant monkey who could crush me with between his, uh, his bicep and his forearm. I will follow you to the strange terminal that's glowing up and, and fling me up into the sky. So yeah, civilian or HVT, you walk up, you make a whip roll plus three, they follow you, you bring you know, you bring them to the evacuation terminal, and then you get them out. Pretty basic concept. I like it. It's simple. I actually like it a lot more than rescue because you can actually get the civilian off the table as opposed to babysitting them, which is kind of cool. We'll see. I like it. Yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty mixed on Civivac just because it's like a weird thing, but I think getting rid of them will make me like that a lot more because again the problem was like you had to babysit them so you had to like actually be tracking where the model was at all times and like this is kind of a pain in the pain in the butt 
I still kind of wish I had the option to use physique. And, you know, you do, we do some like kidnapping here, but that's, you know, that's just a really minor, like, I think that like, you know, would be cool. Like in how in D&D you can use strength as a intimidation instead of charisma uh, if you're strong enough. But that's like a super minor complaint. Monkey, come with me. Here's banana. <laughs> it is what it is, you know. Sometimes you got to work on your uh, diplomacy skill. You can't always apply violence to everything. Banana. Banana. So yeah, that's evacuation. Good luck. It's definitely something you want to practice a couple times. I would assume it's going to replace rescue probably for most people's events. You're, it's going to come up. Make sure you learn it. This is one of those of this is one of those scenarios where the TOs are trying to hurt you. So they're going to use it. All right. So the last scenario is last launch. This one's actually based on a scenario that was written by someone from the loss of Lieutenant uh, mission challenge thing that I know. I don't know if they still do it. I know they used to, but essentially CB will take custom scenarios from the community and some of them will even be like oh sweet this scenario is awesome let's put it in the ITS packet boom there it is so this one this is probably the most complicated of the new three one of the new three scenarios I'm going to do my best to explain it it might take a game or a game and a half for you to be like oh I get it now but first I think the best way to kind of think about it is the way it's set up so obviously normal board in the middle there's going to be a panic room a panics armory, whatever you want to call it. And in the middle of it, there's going to be, I like to think of it as like the launch pad. It's called the launching tower, which has its own console. It's not a launch pad, but the whole thing, the whole thing's a launch pad. So if you're making this, make it look like a launch pad in order to make me happy. And that's all that matters. Arachnids, as long as I'm happy, then you guys can be happy. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Anyway. So then on the lateral aspects of the table, they're going to be ID terminals, and these ID terminals are going to be what help you essentially win the game. So at the end of the game, you have to extract more of your army points off of the table than your opponent. You do this by interacting with the ID scanners and then the launch pad. We'll go over that in one second. So you get more points for extracting more. You get more points for extracting more specialist troopers. You get more points for killing more specialist troopers than your adversary. You get points for killing the same number of specialist troopers. Hopefully you kill more, right? That's obviously the thing. And then at the end of the game, you get a single point if you dominate the launching tower, which is the armory, essentially. And then you, of course, have the classified deck. The way this works is a specialist has to go up to an ID terminal. He goes to it, he uses a whip roll, and he downloads a totally legal identification uh, pamphlet or pamphlet or ID tag, whatever you want to call it. And this ID tag is needed by a model in order to interact with the launch pad in the middle of the board. And when they interact with it, they get extracted into the sky. They just get straight up Metal Gear Solid, Halo lifted, their neck snaps in the process. It's horrible. There will be so many casualties due to the, just the high impact <laughs> fucking force placed on somebody's neck for being launched into the sky. So... You get the ID tag. Now, you can swap the ID tag with any friendly model. No rule required. Short skill. You're just like, hey, bro, here's your ID. It's definitely legal. It looks just like you. Your name's McLovin. So now, McLovin can walk up to the terminal in the middle of the board, and he can interact with it and get launched in space. You don't need to be a specialist in order to interact with the one in the middle. All you need is the ID tag. Now, 
My first initial thought on this is that this is going to be very much favoring sectorial armies because you can bring a fire team. You can all huddle around this thing with the specialist touching it and then like him passing it around as he makes more of these things. I think that this is going to be more friendly to that kind of play. Something that is note- noteworthy is that if you are a Evo hacker, you actually don't need an ID you can actually just go straight to the middle of the board, poke it, and leave. Many Evo hackers also have baggage. Baggage gets you 20 extra points if you're extracted. So ponder that for a little while. Yeah. That's a that's a free one for me, the person that read this thing. So yeah, what do you think about that, Brady? Oh, I love this mission. Yeah, it's a little complicated, mostly just because there's so many actions involved. But at its core, it's very simple. Of Get an ID, go in the thing, and you get kind of like reverse tug of war. One of the things I really like about it is... By setting yourself up to win early, you inherently make it harder to win later because you are getting rid of some of, you know, getting rid of more points. So you have less points on the table. Again, CB is trying to help neuter that first turn advantage, it feels like, with ITS-15. And this this mission feels like a big part of that. You know, I can you can try to win very early by like, okay, I send my avatar through it. Tur- you know, he walks, he walks up, take, takes his ID and immediately goes through it as well. They're probably not getting more than 100 points through that, but they're probably going to table my army because I just sent my avatar up. So I, I really like that thought process. I think every game will really, whoever can like really like hedge their bet the best of like getting enough things out early where it forces the opponent to really come out and, you know, start like, oh no, they, they sent 60 points up or whatever. And again, you don't. I don't believe you know how much points actually went up. You would you would have to because that's still private information. It's open. What goes up into the air is actually open. Okay, but that's still like you start worrying at that. Uh, and so I think that's going to be a really fun line to 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 find in in this mission. I think this mission is going to basically be a staple in narrative. Basically, any narrative event or narrative campaign, it just feels really good like even if like this exact mission but the idea of go up get a thing use a free action essentially to to a short skill to trade it and then go do another thing with the item you just acquired you know that that's a kind of like a slam dunk kind of mechanical feeling for me Uh, i wish actual hackers got an advantage or something you know like we've seen that in other missions to create the ids but that'd probably be a little bit redundant and a little bit too powerful with the evo hackers also getting to go up for free thankfully most evo hackers aren't all that expensive the most expensive one that comes to mind is Scylla. i think Scylla is the most expensive evo hacker i can think of so yet again crutch phoenix here it is cb's obvious obvious catering to see which is cb please Please, calm down for a second. Let's stop helping Steel Phalanx for one second. What are you doing? But yeah, seriously, I think it does make it... Because you figure if you bring an Evo hacker and you bring more than one drop troop, this has an exclusion zone. So now you get one free exclusion zone guy hitting the ground. You're almost completely... I don't want to say completely. You're almost incentivized to bring maybe a drop-heavy skewy type list. So what you could do is... Turn one, turn two, do drop, do combat drop, have this guy, I don't know, move toward close to the middle or whatever. Surround him by drop troops that all just drop in. Poke it next turn. I think that the key to this is a lot of the people that I think you play against, especially maybe at the lower tables, they're going to completely forget that they are going to, they should put somebody in the sky in the first place and they're going to go murder mode, right? They're going to start hearing the, the doom music and then they're going to just like start going for the violence. 
Because thankfully, there are other ways to score by killing more specialists and all that. In a weird way, it's almost it's almost an interesting idea to bring two, three specialists and then do everything you can to get them to be the ones that evacuate. Now they can't be killed. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's interesting. I think you can approach this mission from a couple different standpoints. You could go wide specialist, maybe maybe go like hidden deployment specialists like ninjas or I don't know, Nagas or whatever. Hold, hold on a second. Here we go. Nagas, though, don't have hidden deployment, Dylan, please. You've been corrupted. Oh, no. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so sorry. I'll never be the podcast host I wish I could be because I can't remember Nagas. <laughs> Art not hidden deployment from. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway. I'm gonna I'm gonna write that across my face because you know we can see each other while we're recording this and just like or I'm just gonna have like the sign as you start saying it just pull up Nagas don't have don't make deployment. me tap the sign Dylan don't make me tap the <laughs> sign Dylan Nagas don't have hidden deployment Dylan so anyway yeah you could you can completely ignore the extraction zone and if the other person doesn't extract anything they don't get any points for it so you can either go full murder and not even worry about the ID thing probably not a great idea I think it's a good idea to just evacuate something. Because if the other person doesn't evacuate at all, then you win a sizable chunk. And because you also get points for extracting specialist troopers, like specifically more than your opponent, I think that it's a really good idea to maybe if you only evacuate one model, make it the most expensive specialist you can think of. So heavy infantry, forward observer, whatever, right? Fling it up into the sky. It's expensive enough that it's going to be hard for your opponent to overtake it but it also doesn't damage your list in such a way that you don't have anything to like defend yourself. I'm thinking like a Shang-Chi, right? Pretty pricey. Not so much that your entire list is neutered. You'll miss it, but it's a chunky boy that the other person might have to take more than one model to beat it. But then you can set up an, like a defensive ARO for when they get their whole, like, you know, again, when like you're saying, oh, they get the whole link team around. It's like, all right, hidden deployment, knock the fire. It's like, oh no, you touched the button. Hello, missile. I'm really, I think a really strong strategy in this will be, like kind of said, dropping. Anything that can kind of quickly go past the exclusion zone. I know they're not common, but like, you know, Fides, Speculo Killers, because this mission, kind of like Biotech 4, kind of like Panic Room, you inherently know the opponent is going to try to push up at least within the first two turns. So getting those kind of speed bumps will be like i think very very effective and very terrifying and kind of like you said and then you then you're free to just get oh i i threw up a 40 point unit or i threw up like 25 points now you have to respond because i i have taken that initiative in general these these three missions i really like because they all incentivize kind of that duality of you really want to take the initiative and start pushing forwards but it doesn't really reward that like hyper aggression, that alpha strike, because that usually actually puts you a little bit in a weird scoring position for especially turn three, unless you really stepped on that person's throat and like ended their end of their game. Beer pong always scores at the end of every round, so the so the person going second just has such a massive advantage in scoring. This one incentivizes you to you know to send that first unit up. But then you are playing, I think more importantly, even less than the points, you're playing, you, you know, they essentially kill the unit in terms of its orders that you'll have for the rest of the game. Civivac, I, I feel like that, or evacuation in general, it's, it's, you know, it's any kind of evacuation, just order intensive, just to do the thing. And you've you're got to be moving where you don't really want to be. But like, I am, I'm really excited about these three missions overall in terms of a like more interactive 
gameplay experience, which Infinity Missions are always tend to be pretty good. I think that last launch is probably the one that you would want to go first on. I think the other two, you definitely probably prefer to go second. I can see the argument go either way for evacuation, just because of kind of the way it's laid out. I like them. Last launch, I definitely want to go first. Yeah, I definitely want control of those buttons. Even if I don't send anything up, I want control of those buttons. So you have to come into my rat's nest. So one thing that I really want to bring up is that these three missions, I think these three missions are perfection. If you wanted to do reinforcements, all three of them have exclusion zones. Reinforcements ignore exclusion zones from what I understand. So when they come down and slam into the ground, now you have that second wave immediately stuck in on these essentially the way these objectives work. Reinforcements break down if the mission is quadrant control. Because now, on the very last turn, if the other person has to put their reinforcements out or they just have refused to do it at all, you can essentially just take two zones. Maybe potentially even three, if it's all laid out in a weird in, a, in like the correct way. This is like, to me, optimal types of scenarios where you're thinking, oh, hey, my attack piece went out to go try and touch the console to move beer pong uh, soccer ball closer to the middle of the thing, but he died. Oh no, I've ran out of I've ran out of army points. Oh hey, look, a second wave of a bunch of beefcakes slam into the table. Now that's their mission for the next turn. It's kind of interesting. So, are these reinforce are these missions made with reinforcements in mind? On some level, maybe. Right, it's CB. They just put it into the document. Who knows? But I think that these are really good for reinforcement type scenario for especially events, right? Because I know reinforcement events have kind of started to pop up, and everybody was hoping that there was going to be a certain part of the ITS document that was like, "Oh, this is how you are supposed to play reinforcements." It wasn't really in here, not that I saw. So I think that these three are probably as close as you're going to get to. Oh, hey, you should probably play these at your one day event. They're great. I will probably try to convince Jake because I know the Queen's Gambit one will be uh, reinforcements because we want to start trying it out in this local area. And I agree with you. I was one of those ones who like, oh, they'll probably have a modifier for missions or like like how direct actions its own section. I was I was kind of expecting to have to see four like, you know, a four mission or three mission pack. It's like here's missions designed for reinforcements. Um, but I, I, I think you can just run these three, these three new ones. I agree with you. I think they play into the reinforcements idea uh so i would be really excited uh hey jake if you're listening just just make these submission pool please 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 so if you're a to out there i think that that's probably a good way to give reinforcements a shot if you haven't done it already just take these three missions throw them out there and say hey not only are we going to try a new game mode we're going to try three new scenarios and by the end of it you're going to be so tired that you're never going to play infinity again and then you all get wasted at the bar after the game or at the sushi place and you make fun of yourselves. Which, that's the best part. All right, Dr. D. I'm feeling really good. Do you have any last uh, thoughts on, on this on this mission pack at all? I really like it. I really like the changes. I like that they took out the extra models. I enjoy the three new scenarios. I really like the angry Chihuahua turret. I, I love O12 Prestige. There's really nothing about this document that I think is bad. I agree that CB might have done a little bit of their usual, didn't go quite as far as they could have with the reinforcements thing. Like, I think I agree with the way you were looking at it before, where it was like they made a decision between the too much and the too little and kind of 
edged closer to the too little. I'm a little scared that their reinforcement game mode isn't going to get the support that it needs in order to thrive, especially because now we've at least seen the Yu Jing, Yu Ching model box and the models look sick. Still don't know if a lot of those profiles are even going to become normal, right? Weird situation. I am. I'm so excited to like buy and paint the extra because those, those models look like really cool and they're like different. And if they're only existing reinforcements, I, I don't think I'm playing them much unless they're proxying as Shasvasti models. And that's, uh, I'm not excited. I'm not excited about that prospect. So I'm less excited to go out and buy that box. Even if like I want to own the models. Yeah, it's it's kind of a it's a butt situation. I know I'm not panicking. I'm not angry at CB or anything for it. I'm sure they're trying to figure it out as much as we are. But I wish they would have taken a little bit more of a like a direct stance on what they want us to do with reinforcements. But I know they're just figuring it out. I'm not upset about it. And the blank check they send me every month really helps my opinion that they know what's best for all of us. And you should buy more CB models. I, I will say it's it's so funny. Again, I, I mentioned I play a lot of Warhammer, but like coming from like GW, like they make a new model, and especially like the model comes with the book. It's like you will take this model, like even if the rules aren't very good, it's still like everything is like trying to funnel you to you know to buy, consume, take that new model, and especially with reinforcements, like the reinforcement boxes, it's like CB is basically saying like, hey, if you want to play this game mode. Here's this cool thing. If you don't, I guess you don't need to buy the box. We think they're cool, but you don't have to. And it is an interesting, like, where we're both sitting here right now being like, CB, can you can you make us buy the box? Like, can you really, really like, twist our arm? And I, it's a really weird situation, and I guess it's a good consumer practice. Yeah, it doesn't, it's a lot more, like, transparent, right? It doesn't bleed malicious intent. I'm going to probably buy two or three of them just to paint the models. I'm a sucker. You know, I just like painting and buying models. That's just my thing. So they don't need to convince me, but I know that a very sizable portion of the Infinity community have concern about it. And I, I think they're, they're not wrong. I don't think they're wrong. But I do think, hey, you know, give them a little slack. I mean, you know, it's not like you can't play the game normally. You don't have to buy them if you don't, you know, whatever. It's not like CB's not still making stuff constantly. Every month they got some. Every month we need a new Joan of Arc. CB, come on, step up the game. It's been a while since the the last Joan of Arc model. What are you doing? Zero out of ten. Quitting this game. Yeah, what a a pile of what a pile of butts. How about you, man? Any closing thoughts? I'm really excited. Um, I I think it moved into like it addressed some of the concerns I think people were having from ITS 14 of you know alpha striking certain other other like you know less great mechanics. It got rid of uh, cryo, so hooray! Uh, I was just happy on that. Um, I did see that uh, posted in in one of the discords that apparently Warsenal is uh, running behind on cards getting shipped, so that's not great. Like I'm really happy about new cards because some of the old cards were definitely showing their age in terms of like, wait, what can do this thing? Because they've had to update it and errata it so many times, but less great that, you know, shipping, shipping is still probably been for the next probably five years is probably still just going to be a little hit and miss. I, I'm so excited to get into this new season. Don't worry guys. I still play infinity, but I just, you know, I still LARP as well. Come, come, come LARP by guys fault. It's a lot of fun. Brady, I think we did it. 
I think we finished an episode talking about a new way to play this game that we love. I'm super excited. Uh, did we get anything wrong? Absolutely not. We are the best. Although, if you haven't listened to the previous episode where I interviewed Devin from the Meta Chemistry Podcast, absolutely phenomenal guy. I love Devin. I'm really hoping that he might collab with us more in the future. Who knows, right? You know, if you send me enough blank checks, I can make a lot of things happen with a blank check. You know what I'm saying? So, hey, make it happen. Everyone likes a crossover episode. Who should? Yeah, dude, they're great. So, guys, leave us a five star review. Give us a five-star review if you think that Metachemistry is better than us or if you think that uh, we're awesome and deserve it, which we totally do. You have no idea how much it helps us, especially if it's a written review. If you write in Dr. D is butts, that means with a five-star, that will give us way more attention to the greater podcasting community than you just giving a star review. But you know what? We love those star reviews too. And every time you do it, a 012 cop gets a halo. You can find me at Dr. D on Discord or at Fury... (laughs) Or Fury Painting at FuryPainting.com, completely ignoring the stupid channel where they talk about beach pizza discussion. Ladies and gentlemen, just don't look it up. It's stupid. Hey, make sure you know you share it with your friends and family. Again, we love the reach. Listen to it while eating some beach pizza. Uh, And you can find me, (laughs) Brady T, on Discord, at Brady T. What channel would they find you in, Brady? Oh, you can find me. T- uh, I probably talk more about beach pizza than I do about infinity in the discord. <laughs> and of course we want to thank everybody in the background that helps keep this podcast running Kara for editing and Tim for running the network. We can't do it without them. Literally. We love them except for Tim. He's a doofus and Hey, nomads keep it popping out there and don't let Aleph get you. It's never too late to embrace the evolved intelligence. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this show, check out all the other great shows here at the Professional Casual Network. Like what, Danny? I'll tell you. On Mondays, we've got the Lost Omens podcast, our Pathfinder 2E actual play, hosted by me, playing through the Extinction Curse AP. Also, streaming on twitch.tv slash professional casual network at 7 p.m. Eastern time, you can check out, oh yeah, the power phase, our Marvel Crisis Protocol live battle report show. On Tuesdays, the podcast version of, wait, did I roll a wild? Our Marvel Crisis Protocol Povlog is available. On Wednesdays, alternating releases on the Patreon, we have Settling the Southlands, our homebrew Wolforp actual play, and The Slithering, a Pathfinder 2nd Edition actual play. And on Thursdays, live at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on twitch.tv slash professional casual network, we've got, wait, did I roll a wild, our Marvel Crisis Protocol povlog. You can also check out back episodes of Elite Eight Showdown and the first 39 episodes of the Lost Omens podcast, the first 24 episodes of Settling the Southlands, and the first handful of episodes of The Slithering on the YouTube at youtube.com slash the professional casual.